This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Star Trek Strange New World Season 2 Episode 8. Under the Cloak of War is over, but we are just getting started here on Post Show Recaps. Hello, everybody. Drink up, pour the blood wine as the Klingons have returned. After making their official Strange New Worlds debut in the premiere, we have a very different, more distilled version of the Klingons showing up here in Episode 8 as we delve a bit deeper into... All of the drama involved in Mbenga's and Chapel's time on the war front and how that is very much carried forward from the past to the present and will certainly have a presence in the future. Of course, I am not alone here. I am joined by somebody who has been doing podcast triage with me for so many years at this point, the great Jessica Lees. Jess, how are you? Well, Mike, if I was you at this moment, I would be coming on here with a bit. And let me describe what the bit would be. Please. The bit would be I would be on here with a cervical collar because I have suffered such whiplash from the last (laughs) couple of episodes. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this last week saying, well, we have the Lower Decks crossover in episode seven. We have the musical episode in episode nine. Whatever's in between is going to have to do a real wallop of a job. And it certainly was a wallop. But it turns out the middle of this sandwich is quite the surprising meat. I should say. And now it makes all the sense in the world why these two incredibly light episodes of Star Trek are going to surround maybe one of the darkest episodes in franchise history. Yeah, it's it's like we're going to we're going to put we're going to put the cheerful happy episodes, we're going to put the trials and tri- tribulations and we're going to put the Ferengi episode and then in the middle we're going to stick in the pale moonlight. That's basically what we're doing here. Yeah, pale, very in the pale moonlight, especially at the very end with essentially a character talking to the camera being like, yep, I did bad things. That just happens when you're living, especially in a modern day anti-hero based series as we finally get our Mbanga themed episode. Of course, we found out in the premiere that both him and Chapel are veterans of the Klingon War. That became a big deal during the first season of Star Trek Discovery. But we really didn't know the depths of what they experienced besides that green juice that they were pounding down. We find out not only the origin story of that green juice, but also a lot of trauma that they carry over the course of this episode that sees a Klingon being quote-unquote welcomed onto the Enterprise, and no surprise, ends up with him dead by the end of it. Again, Jess, I suppose, uh, neck and head injuries aside, how did you feel about this episode, even displacing it from all the malarkey we engaged in last week? Well, I can't be mad at it because it was such a good episode. Like, they are really... I, I did not expect this out of the same show that we just watched, but... It you know lift this out of lift this out of strange new worlds and put it in 
any of the Star Treks that have gone this dark and it fits right in. It's incredibly well done. I'd put it up there with any of the best wartime episodes of Deep Space Nine. And it's just... It's just like they can really do everything on this show. And they are doing everything on this show. I, I think I would be madder at it if it had been... Like if we just gotten like some kind of filler ass bottle episode in here, but they're really every week they're upping the ante, whether it's a, whether it's a light episode or a heavy episode. And every week they're managing to do that. And I don't know how long they can keep it up, to be honest. I have no idea. This is reminding me of like peak community with just every single genre that it is able to traipse over the course of its time, where it truly feels for the first time in a while with Star Trek, you are coming into an episode having no idea what to expect, but knowing to your point that it's going to be at least of a good quality. This has to be probably the most Deep Space Nine, non-Deep Space Nine episode in Star Trek history. The only other one I could think of was Actually, speaking of Deep Space Nine, the first episode to really introduce the Cardassians and particularly Miles O'Brien, I think it's called The Wounded, where it's kind of a similar thing of, oh, we think this Cardassian has defected, but we're not entirely sure. So O'Brien has to be the one to talk to the Cardis. I believe that actually was the first one to feature Mark Alimo before he went to become, of course, infamously Gold Ducat. And so I like how that carries through, but in a very different way way where something like again in the pale moonlight holds more of a candle up to the grays that exist within especially wartime this also combined basically star trek's elements of mash with showing all of the triage and medical stuff that was happening during the wartime effort i mean babs elusimakun is sensational in this episode i was riveted specifically in the very end when he has this showdown within a sick bay it is intense it is absolutely captivating and it's done so subtly as well i feel like with no offense to like jess bush or any of the other performers in this episode this was his episode and he showed it yeah this is definitely that was his emmy moment for sure we're gonna get to that moment because i could do a whole podcast just on that scene alone there's so much in there that we're going to need to unpack. But I want to go back to talking about some more parallels here because I can see two other Deep Space Nine episodes this mm. reminded me very strongly of, one of which I've seen in a lot of the discourse online around this, but one of which I haven't really. And one of them is, of course, the Siege of AR-558, which is the one where Nog loses his leg. Yes. If we're giving them friends titles, it's the one where Nog loses his leg. <laughs> um, and, of course that one that really directly confronts the horrors of war and the kind of futility of the whole exercise. But the other one that I wanted to think about, especially um, and talk about this with you, Mike is duet, which is a very early deep space nine episode, but maybe the moment where deep space nine grew the beard really um, is an early episode where Kira is confronting a Cardassian who you don't know if he is, still working for the Cardassians or if he has decided to defect or if he is um, if he was forced into doing what he did or if he is really that guy in the first place and they go back and forth like there's four or five times where you think you know who he really is and it's not and that's not actually who he really is Mm -hmm. and I feel like they did a lot of playing with that with this character of Ra. Right. I feel like it had a very similar tale ending, right? That it's like, oh, the story about me is actually fabricated. I'm a coward, but you have to keep up the lie to uphold my reputation. And I think unlike Mbenga, Kira is not the one to ultimately plunge the knife into that Cardassian, but it does end in a similar bloody way. Yeah, it's like some rando just kills the guy. Um, But yeah, even right down to having a butcher in the in the story. It's like, is that guy really a butcher or is he not? It was very much like that was what I was thinking of the whole time. Um, Yeah, that's a really good call out. And again, that calls to the Bajorans versus the Cardassians seems to be akin to humanity versus the Klingons at this point. At least the Federation, which is by and large human versus the Klingons and getting to see firsthand how bad that rivalry is. I mean, 
I know we're over a decade away from Worf obviously serving such a high position in Starfleet later on, but to see essentially his makeup in the form of someone who will start the episode stepping onto a starship and will leave it in a body bag is a staggering reminder all the way back to 2017 when CBS and Paramount Plus re-kickstarted the Star Trek franchise about how far we've come and also how close we are to that. Yeah, I had forgotten about the odd font that was used on the Klingon subtitles in that first season. So good, so good. Well, let us talk about the Avatar for this episode in Dr. Mbenga and the man from his past that he will soon come face-to-face -face with as the Enterprise's mission this episode is one that is typically given to the Enterprise, particularly Picard's Enterprise, which is escorts, right? That there is... This Klingon who defected over to the Federation, supposedly, during the Klingon War. After that, he has been this bastion of peace and hope. He has brokered many a treaty within this system. And so now they are supposed to bring him to Starbase 12 to continue his sterling reputation. The ambassador is a Klingon named Doc Ra. He prefers to just go by Ra. I was really excited about this, Jess, because I recognized him immediately. <laughs> it's Bunny from The Wire. It's Bunny Colvin, uh, also known as James Ross from Barry, yep. who I saw more recently, a.k.a. Robert Wisdom. And he brought a lot of wisdom as well, as much as I talked about Babs and commended him for this episode. I always love Klingon actors just because they get to be like, sometimes they're on the Gimli side of being like ridiculous, over-the-top comic foils. And sometimes they are like, very deeply intensely dramatic there really is no subtlety when it comes to the klingon empire and i feel like despite wisdom obviously being older being more of a grizzled veteran hence the cane that he walks around with he commanded such a hefty amount of power he literally spoke softly and carried a big stick yeah and he, it was funny because it was like no matter what kind of klingon you were expecting to see it was not what you got he comes in and he's just, it, it, it was so strange how, you know, laid back and jovial he was. And the only other Klingon I can think of who ever did that was, this is a deep pull from Deep Space Nine. This is a Deep Space Nine pull. Um, was the Klingon chef on the promenade had that same, <laughs> you know what I'm, you know who I'm talking about, right? Oh yeah, I know. I, I remember the many times, but I forget who, I feel like maybe it was probably like Bashir took Dax out for gacht or something yes. aboard that that restaurant. Yeah, so it, like he comes in like projecting Klingon chef, and everybody's just like, "Oh wow, you're so cool! You're like Klingon Jimmy Carter. You're coming in and like brokering peace, and you're so cool." And and he's giving this like he used to be very intense and broody, and now he is all about making everybody zen. It was also very um very Colin of Colin and Christie. <laughs> that is amazing i can imagine maybe Ra decided to defect over to the federation because he wanted to avoid going to jail for stiffing a taxi cab my bat left is broken this is bullshit <laughs> exactly so this is where we're going to get uh, an introduction to Ra. as you mentioned his, uh, his reputation kind of precedes itself he is known as the butcher of jagal which scans perfectly to painting by chagall and now i want a parody <laughs> song dedicated to it so what wow. i think is yeah, what i think is interesting jess is talking about a red herring initially ortegas tries to go down the direction of where we have gone in previous canonical episodes as you and i have both mentioned of now wait a minute could he actually be a double agent i'm really glad we move away from that and more so towards the emotional aspects about okay it's less so that we can trust raw and more so can Mbenga in particular forgive him for the atrocities he committed? Right. It's like it doesn't, it almost, it's immaterial who he is right now. It's more like, can we really grapple with even having him here in the first place based on who he used to be? And I thought, honestly, tonally, this was very weird the way that Pike kept forcing this on them. It's like, is you know, our Truth and Reconciliation Commission's not a thing in the future? And is PTSD not a thing? 
Like, I feel like he should have, and especially knowing what we know of Pike, I'm surprised he didn't sit them down individually and say, hey, you know, it's good for optics if you are here at this dinner, but we understand completely if you're not ready to be there because you directly fought against this guy. And we, we can see that it's not going to be easy for you. We respect that it's not going to be easy, but please, can you? And instead he's just like, yeah, you guys have to be there. It's, it's optics. And that seemed very off from what we know of Pike. Yeah, this is where a counselor would have really come in handy, right? To serve as that mediating arbitration party, to sit these individuals down and basically try to walk them through it. Because look what happens by the end of this. Maybe blood wouldn't be shed. And they will communicate it later that Mbenga basically says, listen, Pike, I understand where you're coming from, where people do deserve second chances, but it's a little bit different when it comes to war and the baggage that I carry. So I feel like, unfortunately, in a season that we continue to say is not the strongest for Intrepid Captain, this is not an L that he takes necessarily, but certainly not the best, most sympathetic light compared to, obviously, the demons that Mbenga is going to be literally fighting later on. Yeah, so question for you, just to fill in some backstory. What was Pike doing during the war? So if I remember my discoveries season two correctly, I believe that Pike said that Starfleet decided not to conscript the Enterprise to fight because they were an exception, that they were an exploratory vessel, they had a five-year mission, they had to keep going with it, and so they did, even though it was dealing with a lot of the Spock stuff at the same time. So they were spared the casualties of war, quite literally, by continuing what they were put out to do there in the first place. Pike is just like, the war is just not a thing with him. Like, was was he like Disco camping out in the Mirror Universe the whole time? Yeah, I, that might have been it. Maybe he was, they were hanging out with finally that OG version of Lorca, who we never found. Yeah. By the way, what must, what must Mirror Pike be like? I really want to meet Mirror Pike. He's bald. <laughs> and he always orders out. That's the Mirror version of Pike. It's a Mirror version of Pike. Uh, Pike got to do some more cooking this episode, and we have some, apparently some kind of herb that is... It's basically like herbal fugu, where yeah. if you eat a little bit of it, it tastes great. And if you eat a lot of it, it kills you. So yeah. I thought like I thought that I was surprised that was a red herring. I thought there was gonna be some instance of like we're gonna slip that in Ra's food or something like that. No, they're not that, you know, duplicitous. They're just gonna take him on first head and then stab him and felt like uh, you know, they had due cause to do so. Stab him in the front, I guess. Gotta respect it. Yeah, just like uh, we respect the game of Spock trying to create a rock to Gino for Ross. Speaking of <laughs> Deep Space Nine callbacks, of course, Benjamin Sisko's drink of choice. And Mbenga is drinking it all in as we get the first of many flashbacks over the course of this episode, which is something that has been brought more into the modern day Star Trek. We see it particularly, I feel like, in the first couple seasons of Discovery when it came to Michael Burnham's backstory. How do you think it worked here, Jess, as a plot point? Um, I think, well, there's a lot of mega tropes in here. And it's like, it's really testament to how well these characters are set up that we are immediately like, oh, yeah, that makes sense for him. Um, I think the flashback driven thing, like, obviously, it's not new because this goes all the way back to the cage. If we're really talking about structuring an episode that way. But I do think it's really valuable because we really don't get people's backstory that way as much in the star trek world and this was a very evocative way to tell the story of where they've come from and why they are the way they are Uh, but i thought that the really most important beat here is that mbenga leaps directly to let's put this wounded guy in the transporter buffer and i'm like really really we already know you're not supposed to be doing that. So, but that's like his thing. It's like, but why can't we just put somebody in the transporter buffer? It's like, he is like, that's his first solution to every problem. Yeah. It's the Mbenga maneuver, right? Just leave him in the transport buffer. Just don't erase the backlogs and you should be okay. As nurse chapel is going to be really thrown out of the frying pan and into the fire here, which is probably how Pike made his delicious jambalaya as she will meet Clint Howard making his (laughs) series debut, it seems, as he does with every Star Trek series since he was a wee bitty babe as Commander Buck Martinez. And we see she is thrown right into the line of duty to get an entire shipment, basically, of 
people who need triage. And Chapel is going to meet Mbanga, and this is where their first introduction, to your point, will come in with him just kind of hobbling in nonchalantly saying, yeah, this person's dying. Just kind of keep them in, you know, a, a state of matter where they won't die anytime soon. And so it's interesting to see this relationship grow. The next time we'll see them is in the operating room uh, where he keeps calming her down by telling her, we've got this, we've got this. I feel like after that, though, we really don't concentrate on the two of them whatsoever. It becomes much more about Mbanga's story. Well, but we do see her backing him up in the present day, the quote-unquote mm. present day, where you see her telling him, we've got this. And it almost yeah. suggested to me for a second, like, oh, is this some kind of, like, is this all premeditated? Which, I mean, we'll get to, we'll get to that because, again, the actual murder scene is something that we could pick apart Zapruder style frame by frame. Um, there was a second knife. I, I'm saying Mike, they, they left this very open-ended in a really cool way. Yeah. Um, but I thought it really captured like the fact that they kept playing that computer beat of incoming transport, incoming transport, incoming transport over and over. Like it's just maddening. You can see how intense the pressure was in that moment and how like hopeless a lot of it was. Um, so I really loved these. I love these interstitials as kind of a way to contrast where they are now and how it's almost like it reminds me a lot of a scene in the walking dead. Hmm. Um, the first time that they, I don't know how far along you ended up getting in the walking dead, Mike. Only a couple seasons. Yeah. I got to the farm. Yeah, we, we we're past the farm. They go to this new place, Alexandria, where everybody is, they've had it pretty easy thanks to there not being many zombies in the area. And they had this infrastructure with walls and solar panels. And so everybody there is like very cleaned up and they haven't seen the horrors of the zombie apocalypse. And Rick Grimes and his gang come into Alexandria and they meet these people who have, many of them haven't even ever killed a zombie. And like Rick and his people are just filthy and exhausted and they've seen a horrible things that you can't even imagine. And then somebody goes up to, to Sasha, you know, speaking of Star Trek discovery. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's Sonequa Martin Green. It right? is Sonequa Martin Green. Go up to Sonequa Martin Green and Sasha and says, well, we'd like to have you over for dinner this week. What's your favorite food? And she just like gives the woman this thousand yard stare. And it's like, I can't believe you would ask me that question. Like, how do I have a favorite food anymore? <laughs> and this, like, the very clean, bright enterprise of today and the, like, on-the-ground horrors of, like, squeezing someone's heart in your bare hands to get it started again. Like, they couldn't be more different. And the mm -hmm. fact that you're asked to, like, go and, like, have a fancy dinner at a table with the perpetrator of some of these horrors is... It's a really striking contrast and even like light and dark, like the strange new worlds enterprise is very like white and bright and clean. And then this was all like all the walls and floors and everything were just black. Yeah. Not only that, it seems like at least aboard the enterprise, there is like a plaintiveness to it that of course, sometimes the red alert pops up and shenanigans ensue, but people are usually calmly walking through the hallway. Every time we cut back to the past, there's always an explosion or a transport coming. Like there is never a dull moment. You are barely sleeping in that pup tent. What I also really like about the flashbacks as well is I do feel like it puts us in the headspace of these characters at the time. Like when we see Mbenga clutching his own heart, probably trying to start it with his own hands, it feels like at least my simplistic read is, okay, we are traveling with him back as he relives revisits some of these moments uh so as you mentioned we are off to dinner here it's at the request of pike that basically they're gonna have some sort of crew dinner to try to welcome Ra aboard as much as possible ortegas is going to bristle she can't even go inside until mbenga basically like copies and pastes the thing that Pelia told Boimler that she stole from <laughs> Cary Grant last episode of sometimes you pretend something long enough it becomes the truth yeah fake it till you make it yeah exactly so Spock is also going to try to 
perhaps uh, get Chapel to fake her emotions here, or at least try to buoy her very realistic, understandable doldrums that she is in just watching this uh, previous bloodthirsty madman in front of her. This is an odd storyline, I will say, throughout this episode. I am just stunned that now every episode since the official Spapple hookup, we've had like some sort of scene between them that seems to indicate that it's not going to end well, even though it we know that it won't. And here, I don't think anyone's in the wrong. I mean, they'll talk about this later on, that like Spock is legitimately trying to cheer her up and she is just saying, honey, that's nice, but there's no way to cheer me up here. I have PTSD and this man loads a lot of emotions in me, to say the least. And it really leads to an odd way to settle this dynamic through three episodes after their hookup. Yeah, and Spock just being like, well, you know that you can come to me if you have any problems and you want to talk them out. It's like, you're Spock. I don't think you're really going to be the best person for that. Yeah, exactly. He's like, no, don't you see? I have this whole emotion storyline. I think I have a better, better handle on it now. Just don't talk about Sam Kirk's cleaning habits. That'll really set me off, I swear to God. It's like, this typical dude logic. Like, I have been practicing this thing for one episode. Clearly, I am better at it than anybody else on the ship. That earthling Malcolm Gladwell is illogical. We do not need 10,000 hours to master an activity. Amazing, yes. So flashing back again, we begin to see a new side of Mbenga. And this was talked about a smidge in the premiere, and Babs is very well known as a martial artist before coming on to Strange New World, and so you hoped the show would take advantage of it. Here he is visited by this Andorian that seems to be representing this Black Ops, though not seemingly Section 31, here essentially saying, we have this mission to go in and try to take out Ra at this point. He's an absolute menace. Uh, he is absolutely massacring people, refusing to let them die. He will stop at nothing to see his side win. We need to take him out, and I want to recruit you what are you doing using your hands to hold a scalpel? Your hands can do much deadlier things. I hear you were the nastiest killer around. And not only that, I heard you synthesize a little concoction called Protocol 12, which was the green juice that Mbenga and Chapel took to take down all of those Klingons in the premiere. And of course, in this moment, Mbenga's like, nope, can't do it. I'm retired. My place is here helping people allowing people to avoid death rather than the exact opposite thing. Well, it's an interesting parallel too, because we are confronted with this Klingon who allegedly murdered all these people and is now like using his platform for good. And Venga kind of did the exact same thing. Yeah. Um, straight up murderer and then decides, no, I'm going to help people and I'm not going to murder anymore. Um, right. And, and that's the thing is another interesting wrinkle of this tapestry of the ending of the episode is Mbenga talks about like, whose right is it to essentially decide if someone is worth a second chance and how much of this final maneuver is one finger pointing at Ra and four fingers pointing back at himself that even he acknowledges, yeah, I am not a good person. I try to keep the Hulk down as best as I can, speaking of the green juice, <laughs> but inevitably is going to come back out. That bio bed's going to break once again. And when it does, God help anyone who's around me. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I love that he is like, he's not only an amazing fighter and bloodthirsty killer, but he's also a skilled chemist who invented like, you know, future steroids. Yeah. That was interesting in that it seemed like, again, he was the one that directly synthesized it. I thought it was going to be more of a, hey, this was distributed to the entire fleet, but is now off market. But no, it seems like Protocol 12 was an invention of his own making. He must have served like a pretty high rank in the military to get something officially named Protocol 12. I mean, is that an official name, Mike? Or are you just like maybe coming up with something kind of badass? And then, you know, there's always one joker in the in the fleet that's like, ho, 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 where's Protocols 1 through 11? Those might have been the unfortunate uh, test flights that were taken and probably produced some some dead bodies along the way unintentionally so. Maybe so. Maybe like the transporter buffer is full of like people that took the failed protocols. <laughs> yeah, maybe that maybe that's the thing of just disposing of evidence less so about saving lives. Yeah, we're just going to erase that whole buffer now. 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. So now we go to dinner, which is somehow even more tense than the operating room that we were just in. As basically, Ra is, again, to your point, kind of jovially talking about how much he has moved on from everything that happened on Jagal. And there are just three people at the table glaring daggers at him much like the one that will end up in his chest by the end of this episode and there's this a couple moments i think of just like almost a chair gripping tension to the amount that mbenga is doing by the end of this that pike dismisses him first when like ortegas actually stands because she is so filled with fervor about the idea of that remain klingon salute being broadcast over the communications as they were just slaughtering people around her and then, as Mbenga is sent out to go see Ortegas and Chapel, Ra grabs his arm, seemingly just, like, a little too hard, and basically says, hey, I remember back in episode three, you did some martial arts. <laughs> Want to do some Klingon judo together? And again, I love the way that this episode subverts expectations, because at this moment, at least I am like, okay, if we're going along with the Ortegas theme of the episode, which is, can you really trust him? This could definitely be showcased as, oh, okay, he's a little too rough here. He knows who Mbenga is. It's the exact opposite. That Ra has no idea who Mbenga is, but Mbenga plays an incredibly large role in what happened with Ra and his escape. Yeah, you could certainly see this going one direction where they he takes him in um, and, and Ra kills Mbenga and is like, oh, oops, our Klingon martial arts got a little too heated. And you think that's some way that it could possibly go, and then it goes in the exact opposite direction. So back in a flashback, Mbenga's going to have a cute connection with a guy from the moon, uh, this ensign, who is able to pontificate now that he is racked with pain about, what are we doing here? He joined Starfleet to explore and learn. He unfortunately was not on the Enterprise that got to avoid the Klingon War. Now he's fighting a battle? That's not why he's in Starfleet. Mbenga tries to relate it metaphor style to the main impetus of Starfleet. He joined Starfleet to find new ways of healing people. 
And basically this war is almost like burning off a gangrenous limb or like a hell of an antibiotic to stave away some sort of illness. The Klingons are that illness. We have to fight so the people we love can have a chance to live in peace. That's Starfleet. But the peace ain't coming anytime soon as we find out in the next flashback that this Andorian has come up with this big plan for essentially an entire troop to be sent out as lambs to the slaughter to distract the Klingons while he and his Black Ops team lead an operation underground to hopefully take out Ra. And unfortunately, this poor Moon Man is going to be one and done here. Yep, he's done. Um, you know, he it was a it was a great moment, but it's like you introduce a new character at that point in the episode, you know he's not long for the world. Yeah, especially this guy who's representing the doe-eyed young Gee, Mr. Mbenga, I don't know what this war thing's about. You think I'll make it home to see my mama? Like, I very much got that attitude that I was not surprised in the least when they get all the bodies and wounded victims back from Ra's attack that they just cut to him laying there on the gurney. I'm like, yeah, that was pretty much assumed. Yeah, pretty much. You don't even need to show it. So let's go do some judo here as Ra and Mbenga have donned their keys and they start engaging in some very intense physical and verbal warfare here. As Ra's going to come right out and make an offer, feeling like, look how symbolic it would be if two people that were on the opposite sides of the battlefield only a short time ago could work together now on the same side as allies. Not to mention you are somebody that someone looks up to a lot, perhaps for good and bad reasons, considering what you did in the war. Mbenga is going to respond by asking him if Ra's reputation is true. The myth behind Ra is that this is a guy who was behind enemy lines, had a come to Kalos moment, and <laughs> basically said, oh, I shouldn't be doing this anymore. I'm on the wrong side. Wait a minute, are we the baddies? And supposedly he killed three of his officers to lead his escape, and then eventually found himself in the refuge of Starfleet. Ra's going to go along with this for now, as we cut to a very enigmatic individual sliding a knife into three Klingons. And just, I mean, come on. We're savvy enough TV viewers that when you don't see the person behind it, we have to know that this is not Ra. Yeah, it's not the first time we've had, like, this is a trope, right, where you have someone who has this reputation as having done this huge heroic thing, and it turns out that it's all entirely a myth. Like, we get, like, going back to Deep Space Nine, is this, like, kind of shades of Gabriel Bell here? Yeah, exactly. Uh, stepping forward and, you know, making things happen in a very different way. Of course, no time travel involved here, only from a plot perspective. But as we get this happening, we begin to see the birth of the real Butcher of Jagal. As it turns out that Ra has mounted his most ferocious attack yet. And that he is not just taking down soldiers, just he is mowing down anyone who is not Klingon. As Mbenga will invoke later. That includes women, children, people just minding their own business. We see the end of the Andorian, we see the end of the Moon Man. And that's the last straw for Mbenga. He's going to go full John Wick. All of these puppies were killed. And so he says, I'm coming out of retirement. He takes the knife from the Andorian, which really confirms for us, okay, he is the butcher and he's about to go to town and then some. He's about to go butching. Oh yeah, 100%. Una is going to do a really nice job here where unfortunately Pike will fail of stepping in to speak on behalf of the crew. She's basically going to come to Pike and say, hey, I rerouted us to an express route because uh, we need to get him off our ship before he dies. <laughs> Pike is going to argue, we can't be a federation striving for peace if we aren't willing to say that people can be forgiven for the past. But I think Una counters with a really nice point here of like, yeah, that's really fantastic on the surface, but there are people in this crew who have very personal relationships with the person that is standing in front of them. This is not just some random Klingon. This is a guy who was stationed on the same place as two of our crew members. It isn't fair for us to ask them to just let it go. And I think that was such an important expression of perspective as well, and perhaps shows the imperson impersonality 
that comes with Starfleet most of the time of kind of just regarding everyone as rank and file of suck it up, you know, give people a second chance. That's not always going to be easy to do, especially when you're face to face with someone that has had a very personal effect on your own life. You cannot just turn the other cheek. And sometimes insisting that someone does turn the other cheek is almost more offensive than that person being there in the first place. Yeah, I wish she'd had this conversation with him at the beginning of the episode. Might have actually saved us some time. Maybe she thought the dinner would go over better than it did. Maybe, or maybe she didn't, maybe she wasn't told about the dinner until it was already happening. One of those situations where it's like, people just need to talk to each other. And this was, it was very frustrating because it's like, this is the thing she's saying, the thing that we've all been thinking the entire episode, which is, it's like, it's not fair to, like, it's not fair to expect everybody to be as chill as Pike in the face of people that have personally wronged them. Exactly. Like, suffice it to say, if Pike, I mean, we saw that someone that Pike had wronged in episode four, think about the way that that guy reacted to Pike, feeling like he spelled his doom and changed his life forever. It's understandable that Mbenga and Chapel might have the same reaction to this guy. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's very, it feels very tone deaf. Like, Pike's not my favorite guy this episode, for no, sure. No, it's not a good look for him, even though that hair still does look good. All right, Jess, let's get into a breakdown of, I think, both your and my favorite scene of the episode. If not one of my favorite scenes, perhaps, of this series, because there is so much contained into it. Turns out to be the final conflict between Mbenga and Ra. As Ra is going to try to, like, saunter into sickbay, saying, Oh, bummer, my transit time got cut in half. Guess this means you and I can't bro down that much anymore. And Mbenga has just had it. He actually yells at him and calls him out from his perspective at feeling like as much as Mbenga himself likes to fish, as we saw in the short leave episode, <laughs> that Ra himself is fishing to have Mbenga, the one who was most personally affected by his actions, say, wow, he really is a changed man. Yeah, it's it's really it's really complicated here. And it makes me not really like Ra that much where he's all he wants is just to be told like he needs that validation and Benga is like, no, that's definitely not going to happen. And Ra just doesn't know when to quit here. And well, honestly, that's, that's kind of where we need to start here, Mike, because Ra doesn't have to come in here and talk to Mbenga. Like, does he really, really need the personal forgiveness of Mbenga to move forward? Or is he fishing for something else entirely here? Yeah, it's a good question. Did he come in saying it's a good day to die, as many Klingons do? Yep. I, I'm not entirely sure because, again, the thing that we have been presented is that this does seem to be a guy that has put his past in the rearview mirror for better and for worse and does try to live a world of mindfulness and focusing on what's ahead. But then there are also these little turns and red herrings that we spoke of that was hinting towards, oh, does he actually have a different purpose here? Is he actually wor working for different means besides just brokering peace across the galaxy? That I could see the read of maybe him feeling legitimately guilt-ridden as to what happened, that he felt like while he was here, he had to get an Mbenga's ear and try to get his forgiveness. Otherwise... I don't know if he'd be able to move on, but that is so much easier said than done, considering the absolute atrocities that he's committed. Right. And also, I think, I can't tell at this moment if Ra actually knows that Nenga is actually the guy. He doesn't know that he's the guy. He doesn't no. know. Because I think if I'm, I'm trying to like look at the perspectives that we saw in that flashback correctly, it's that it was Ra and his three guys in probably like a throne room or an HQ or something. Mbanga comes in and starts wrecking shop. I don't know if Ra gets a good look at Mbanga. I think the guy just turns tail and leaves as Mbanga is restrained by his man very briefly. So I think if Ra knew Mbanga's face, I think he would have made it known to us and to him. I think the fact that he was surprised to hear Mbenga call himself the Butcher of Jagal and reveal that, and for him to also in private, right, go along with the story of like, 
well, Kiff was the hardest to kill. If he knew that Mbenga was the one that actually did it, I don't think he'd go along with that ruse in the first place. That's true. I, I think Mbenga was kind of fishing around to see if he did know. And it yeah. seems like he doesn't. But yeah, also the fact that one of the Klingons is named Kiff. Um, especially with the news that Futurama is getting rebooted. <laughs> oh no, I guess I'll protect the general. <laughs> I'm going to be the hardest one to kill. Yeah, probably because he's so like gooey and, and uh, slippery, right? It's just going to dissolve into a million bugs if you stab him. Um, But I think it's really telling, Mike, that we don't actually see the moment of impact. Like it pans out and we are like looking at frosted glass when the actual kill happens. Yeah. So we also hear yell don't and does that mean that Ra is brushing him and like goading him into killing him? Is this like, is this like the Alexander Hamilton thrown away his shot of it all? Right. Where are we going to have to rewind a la Angelica and try to review the footage again from a different angle? I mean, I love the choice to make it behind the tinted glass to really showcase from an on the nose perspective, how obscured, this outcome is and how much do we take people at their word versus what chapel ends up seeing and granted she is her own unreliable witness considering the proclivity she has both towards umbenga and away from Ra. i mean it's tough because we saw in the judo scene that Ra still has that capability for strength and quote-unquote violence in the way he's absolutely able to whoop umbenga's ass but it feels different in a way that what Mbenga is trying to put forward later on, which is like, oh, I riled him up enough that he started to attack me, and so I had to kill him in self-defense. I honestly don't think that's what they're going for. I mean, considering that Mbenga's awesome big monologue here is that Ra is going to encourage him, like, ah, slow down, Doctor. You don't want to ruin your soul. And Mbenga's like, you were the one that ruined my soul by telling everyone that non-Klingons had to die. He reveals that he was the one who killed Ra's men when he escaped. You turned me into a monster, he said. I am the butcher of Jigal. I looked for you, and now here you are using the blood on my hands to make yourself a saint. I don't know, Jess, those comments to me seem like some sort of probable cause. To be like, you have made my life a living hell. Forget you, go home, goodbye. Basically, yeah. <laughs> I guess to go home, though, is like screaming to the sky at this yeah, point. because you're stove a core. Exactly. Because I, it just feels to me like if we're talking about things building to a fever pitch, it would come more so from the Mbenga side of things than the Ra side of things. Ra is still trying to put forward this idea of like, people need saints. They need belief. It's okay that I'm living a lie because the image of me is something that is uh, more necessary than the actual story of me. And the fact that Mbenga is like blankly saying, why did you have to come? Why couldn't you leave me alone? I don't know, Jess, I'm getting shades of like the Manchurian candidate. It felt like he was almost resetting back to his own protocol, not 12, as he's just not even looking angry. At that point, to me, it feels like a realization had washed over him in that moment of this man cannot leave sick bay alive. I think the fact that he reveals that he is the butcher of Jagal to me kind of seals Ra's fate of this is something you need to know because this is something I must do. Yeah, and it's like they're both very concerned with what the other person thinks of them. And it's like Mbenga needs Ra to be well aware of the reason that he personally is the one that's doing the killing. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, the Ra perspective is also very intriguing as well. You mentioned Duet. I think that's another great example, as I mentioned before, of him admitting, yeah, one of the reasons why I'm also doing this is to kind of atone for my sins. That of all people, the Klingon turned heel and ran. And I do think when you track back his story, that's a really interesting choice that the Klingon escaped from battle. His men sacrificed himself for him. And so then he takes that moment to seemingly look inward and be like, yeah, this isn't what I should be striving for. Clearly I am not the warmonger I thought I was. Let me try something different. And I kind of believe that he's drinking his own Kool-Aid 
by the end of this, that he feels himself need to be a necessary presence here, that he has a purpose, that the Federation, he needed them, now they need him. He's here to provide healing. And that's the ultimate irony of it as well, is that he is going to the doctor who said he joined Starfleet in the first place to heal people, let alone the galaxy, and is telling him, please, let me have a chance to help you heal. Yeah, it's it's weird the way they play with like this kind of two sides of the coin. Like he's a healer and he's also a hero and a hustler. <laughs> That's three sides. That's a weird ass coin, Mike. I mean, listen, we talk about heroes and healers, though. That seems to be the dichotomy in this episode. Yeah, well, I think th- I think there's like the healer versus the person who's like actively destroy. Like, it's, it's you know healer and destroyer, and it's yeah. hero and coward. And then there's also the idea of almost healing by destroying as well. The idea of, well, is healing really patching something up and ignoring it and moving on? Or is healing working your way through it? Again, these are very therapeutic questions that a counselor would be really nice to have, but like need to be thought through and talked through. And of course, it's different for every person, especially when you're in an extreme situation like an Mbenga who feels like, he is responsible for so many lives being lost in his hands, not only from an occupational perspective, but the mode that he has found himself shifting to, dipping into that dark side, including right now, where, again, his tone just completely changes when it becomes clear to him that the mask has come off and what is underneath is quite scary. I know that this is supposed to be presented as vague, including from a cinematography perspective, but... I really am convinced by the end of this scene, Jess, that Mbenga is the one that makes the move. Considering that he opened up the case and everything, I I really don't think this is self-defense. Yeah, he has it. He has it right there on him. And it's that weapon. But that's very premeditated. That's a very good point. Uh, I And also, I, we got to call attention to that bio bed because I feel like the bio bed just encapsulates everything that's happening this episode. It's like they keep putting like they keep putting patches on it and it keeps falling apart. Exactly, that the method of healing sometimes is not just putting a Band-Aid on things, that oftentimes the wound is internal and requires invasive surgery, requires going in there, nothing surface level. So Chapel is going to give her testimony to La'an and Pike. She is going to back Mbenga, of course, saying that Mbenga told Ra that he didn't want to be involved with a war criminal, and Ra was, quote, set off, and she just says, well, I guess it goes to show no one really knows what goes on in anyone's heart. I love as weird as the Spapple scene was comparing it to this last scene with Pike and Mbenga, where Pike basically comes in from the Spock perspective, right? Where it's not being indelicate. He's attempting to be sympathetic, but obviously has no idea what this guy experienced and is basically saying, hey, you know, we're close. If you had to do something, you could tell me, right? Like, remember when I covered for Una back in season one and that put me in hot water? I stand for my crew. And Mbenga is going to stick to his story. He says, Ra was living a lie. I saw his true face. If I told you that he killed children, would you still think that he died a great man, essentially? And this is where we get, again, the really interesting dichotomy of Pike coming in, saying, everyone deserves a second chance. Everyone deserves that chance at redemption. And Mbenga says, not always. What about justice? What about the victims? Doesn't everyone deserve to pay for their actions? You haven't lived my life. You have the privilege of believing in what's best in people. Me, I happen to know there are some things in this world that don't deserve forgiveness. And to finish it off again in a nice little curve at the end of this sentence, Mbenga ends up saying, listen, I still admit I did not start the fight, but I'm glad he's dead. And like, I don't know, that sounds like a pretty big statement of culpability to me. Mm Mm-hmm. That's true. And I will again say that Pike is coming at this from an interesting angle because, again, this is the captain of the ship. And here it's his chief medical officer saying, like, wow, you're a little too optimistic. You're a little too naive. Arguably, the captain should be the most experienced one aboard the ship in terms of being able to know a little bit of everything. Doesn't really help that here is arguably one of your subordinates telling you, yeah, you're not in your wheelhouse on this one. Yeah, I mean, he's out of his depth. He's on a, he's a captain of an exploratory vessel. He's not a war guy. And, you know, having war guys on your ship kind of, you know, it, it means that when 
the topic comes up, you're not the biggest expert in the room. And I think it's a lesson that Pike needed to needed to hear because he was really like, you know, C- for Pike this episode. Now, the question is, because we have Gorn War on the horizon, would this be an opportunity for Pike to face that? Is this a foreshadowing to the end of the season in episode 10 where it turns out, wow, the Gorn are really around and they've started an entire front and now Pike is made the actual captain of the fleet and it turns out that he's going to learn what he couldn't all those years ago? I mean, well, okay, for starters, I don't know if we've ever discussed this, Mike, but I still think it's hilarious that we have turned the Gorn into these, like, bloodthirsty, nonstop killers. Yeah, after... it's, a, it's a degree beyond what they did with the Packlids in Lower Decks, right? Yeah, a little bit. Um, just because of what they looked like in the original series, it's pretty crazy. Um, but... Yeah, I I think we are foreshadowing this. I think we do have to. Now that we've introduced it, I think we have to come out. He has to come out the other side as being war guy. Uh, you know whether he, you know whether he ever intended that for himself or not. But I think we've established now that um, we're going to be getting into it, and it's going to happen, and he's going to come away with that perspective. Yeah. So speaking of future events, let's end on a malevolent note. As Mbenga is going to give. What seems to be on the surface, a pretty simplistic log of, oh, I fixed the bio bed. Something's breaking away that can never be repaired, only managed. And it ends with that bio bed breaking very quickly again. Just do we derive any more meaning from this that this means we're going to see Mbenga snap back to this mode sooner rather than later? We'll go three for three on John Wick Mbenga style. Or is this going to be more of like, a Spock's emotions thing that will be approached at a later time rather than immediately followed up on. Well, we know, we know that Omega eventually ends up in demoted in some regard because mm -hmm. he's still on the enterprise in the events of the original series, but he is not in charge anymore. So do we think he eventually like the events of this episode or a future incident along those lines? Um, does this make him no longer the guy in charge? Yeah, that's a really interesting point that arguably if this episode went a different way and Mbenga basically looks Pike in the face and says, yeah, I killed him and I'm proud of it, that this could lead to a demotion, a discommendation to use some more Klingon terms to get him back to where he is to start TOS. Then again, we do have a little bit of a while. So there's innumerable amounts of opportunities for Mbenga to go hyper violent and cause his career to be in jeopardy here. Yeah, and of course we know Starfleet's pretty forgiving because you can start an entire Klingon war and still end up being the captain of a starship. Exactly. Michael Burnham is an inspiration in more ways than one. What an episode, Jess. I mean, particularly this last 10 minutes, basically when from when Ra steps into sickbay thereafter, I almost felt like that could have been an episode in and of itself. Like, if the episode started with that, not to say that the episode itself wasn't great, but if we started with Ra getting killed... And then the entire episode was like this tribunal interviewing Chapel and Mbenga trying to find out who this guy was and what impact he had on these two. That could have been another really interesting way to do the episode. But in the way that we saw it, I was so grateful for it. We don't talk a lot about the wartime aspects, again, outside of the Deep Space Nine of it all. And even then, that was more so an in-the-moment war thing rather than reflecting back upon what has previously come like we sometimes get with a Chief O'Brien I thought this was, as is usual with Strange New Worlds, a really complex, beautiful look at a really tough topic in PTSD. I thought all the performances were fantastic. It was riveting in so many different ways from the initial bait and switch of, okay, how duplicitous is Ra being to, oh no, he actually believes what he's saying and Mbenga is the one that is going to be the, the one getting blood on his hands in this episode. It was a 49-minute series of events that absolutely sent me so many places and back. Uh, it's weird that I'm, like, beaming talking about it because, again, it is such a dismal episode, understandably so, covering such a rough topic as war and loss. But it's so well done. It is so well done. This season is all bangers, Jess. Yeah, it's, it's all killer, no filler. Well... Let the bangers continue as next week we go to something completely different. Are you down in the dumps from an episode that had you questioning the ethics of our chief medical officer? Well, how about a song to pick you up as Subspace Rhapsody 
the announced musical episode of Strange New World comes our way next week. Jess, give me your level of anticipation here. I mean, it's it's hard to say, Mike, because we've been at an 11 this entire time. And are we got to stay at an 11 or are we going up to 12? I mean, I don't know how far the dials go to. Warp only goes to 10. We'll see if Ortegas is a big Spinal Tap fan and recalibrated it to 11. Are we going to devolve into lizard creatures now? Oh, I mean, we might from just watching the pure concept of a musical episode happen on Star Trek, something I never thought would happen. I mean, it's right in our wheelhouse, Jess. You and I love ourselves some musicals, whether they're well done or not. I think it will skew on the side of well done. I think as we talked about last week, there is a good amount of heavy hitters, musically speaking, in this cast, and the rest can get by. So I think we are in for a good time no matter what. Kirk is going to be back, so you know we're going to get into more shenanigans involving that. And we'll see how much this is going to be corollary to what's happening on the show proper. Last week, we talked about how it did a surprisingly good job of, despite being a gimmicky crossover episode, actually bringing stuff in that emotionally you know, hewed itself to a lot of the character and plot-based stuff happening throughout the season. I got to imagine episode nine won't be any different, right? I mean, episode nine is historically, like, in most series, it's like the best one of the season. Yeah, I mean, last season's episode nine was, of course, the end of Hemmer, and when the Gorn truly became the big bads of the series. Yeah, and I mean, you don't even have to, it's not even just in Star Trek, it's everywhere. It's like, you know, it's Battle of Blackwater. Exactly. Well, we shall see some wildfire erupt and straight fire being sung as next week's musical episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds coming our way Thursday, followed by our recap. And then after that, Jess, it's only one more week. Man, I loved having that crossover episode this weekend, but I'm sad now that it's truncated our schedule down to only two more weeks of Strange New Worlds proper for seemingly a long time, given the state of Hollywood. Yeah, I I try not to think about that, though. Well, what I do want to think about, Jess, is all the other great stuff that you have going on, because we are finishing up some coverage elsewhere on the Rob Has a Podcast Network. Why don't you plug that as well as the other stuff you have going on? Um, Well, this week we wrapped up um, on Sunday night our coverage of uh, Dead Cities. Final episode dropped here on Post Show Recaps, and the whole panel got together to discuss that. Then, of course, you and I get together with Rob Sesternino every Monday to talk about the events of Tough as Nails, which is airing its final two episodes this weekend. And we're very much looking forward to seeing how that all shakes out. And then, of course, we are talking Amazing Race Canada. Dan Heaton and I every week are talking about what's going on on that particular installment of Amazing Race. And typically, Amazing Race Canada, more exciting and fun than U.S. Don't know about this season, but we're having fun talking about it. Do we think after this episode, Mbenga would be the best Strange New Worlds character on Tough as Nails, or does he run a little too hot? I mean, we've seen what happens on Tough as Nails when you run a little too hot. I think I I would probably want to give it to Spock. Yeah, I think Spock makes sense. I feel like Mbenga just has that better hand-eye coordination, now apparently from a martial perspective as well, but... I also do feel, given Spock still trying to tackle his own emotions, is definitely better in the damn van. Uh, of course, you can follow me at a Mike Bloom type. The couple of plugs I will make this week is that, uh, speaking of the Butcher of Jagal, I talked about the Butcher of Blevikin as The Witcher Season 3's final three episodes dropped on Thursday. Josh Wegler and I did our quick reactions episode by episode in a podcast that released just in the feed at the time we're recording this. And then he and I will get back together over the course of next week, doing our more deep dive recaps as we finish off that very bloody and bloody good show. I'm also talking Star Wars Rebels as well. Just finished an, a recap of the penultimate season there, which also focused on war. And I'm covering war and space on BSG too. So I'm living not only in space time, but a lot of war time as well and somehow maintaining my sanity But that goes out the window as we are prepared to get a song in our hearts of next week's Subspace Rhapsody as we begin to see what is the endgame of Strange New World Season 2 and what shape will it take? Hopefully a treble clef. Thank you all so much for listening. Until next week, I would like the pod to go now. It is.
is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.